As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I think! And time, and time again. Break up the music! Charge your glass! This nation is going to dance all night! FA Cup engraving data, pointless turns of punditry phrase, missed penalties, microscopic shin pads, getting Ron Atkinson's headphones straight in the face, managers in sunglasses, and the unsung heroes who are the live TV sound supervisors. These are the footballing passions and peeves of Jeff Shreves. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 201 of Football Clichés. I'm Adam Hurry and alongside me for this one is Charlie Eccleshare. How's it going Charlie? I'm good, how are you? The FSA Award nominated Charlie Eccleshare, alongside the other, the other, the rest of us, of course, but uh, for Podcast of the Year once again. I know. It, I, I'm I'm really excited about this and quietly confident to uh, to use the sort of footballing speak. Interesting. Not worried about the dark horses that are comedians playing fantasy Premier League. Then no, it's not their time yet. No. See, I, I think we we were in their position when we were first nominated, and now you know we've we've had some. You know, some close runs. I have no idea if we were ever close, but I'll pretend we were. Uh, so, yeah, now feels like we're due one. OK, you've ruined it. Thank you very much. We're not going to win. Um, <laughs> uh, joining us for Mesut Harland Dicks this time is ex-property development ace, former Champions League final suspension correspondent, one-time target for Ron Atkinson's flying headphones, the man who quite literally launched the Premier League and now Sky Sports chief touchline reporter and author of Cheers Jeff, Tales from the Touchline, it's Jeff Shreves. How's it going? Well, what can I say after that introduction? I'm, I'm absolutely whelmed. <laughs> yeah, you are simply whelmed. Just to fact check that, though, were you the target for Ron Atkinson's flying headphones? Legend says you were. Uh, yes and no. In right. the, he'd had a spat with our studio hosts and he, he stormed out of the room and I was the floor manager at the time and it was at Southampton and uh, it was uh, Richard Keyes and Andy Gray back in the studio and Ron is a real character and extremely could be extremely feisty as well as being mm. very funny. So the guys are having a pop at him in the studio saying how poor his team were, etc. And he came up with a great riposte. He said, uh, by the way, who was man of the match tonight? <laughs> and they, they said, oh, it was uh, Dave Besson. Oh, so the opposition's goalkeeper. So we can't have been that bad, can we? Took his cans off and did this kind of theatrical leave, stage left, and he threw them across the room. But he threw them a bit too hard and they hit me in the chops. Oh, and right. so he, you Probably see, the you can, it, yeah, you can still see it on YouTube. And he comes like, oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> so yes, he meant to throw them. 
He certainly didn't mean to throw them at me, though. I'm glad he apologised. I'm glad it all ended well there. That's good. Um, and uh, your face re- remains intact by the looks of it, so that's all good. Yes, although there, there have been a few over the years who have uh, wanted to rearrange it, I'm sure. <laughs> um, meta- metaphorically, of course, it never, ever goes It never ever goes that south. Well, your face does look magnificent on the, on the front cover of your new book. Cheers, Jeff, Tales from the Touchline. Um, the first revelation from this book is that Cheers Jeff is in the Urban Dictionary as a method of marking the moment when a person makes an unwanted or otherwise unnecessary remark which adds nothing to the conversation or is completely unrelated. What an honour. It's basically Honestly, up there I'm, with Not For Me Clive, aren't you? I'm um, I'm hugely proud of it. I think I might have nudged ahead of Andy Townsend with Not For Me Clive <laughs> um, because I'm not sure that anybody else has ever had tattooed on their ass, <laughs> not for me, Clive. And somebody sent me a picture. Present company accepted, ba- obviously. Their, their, their backside with Cheers Jeff tattooed on it. What kind of font are we talking about here? Um, sort of old I'll English, say, I'm I'll, thinking. I'll, I'll, I'll Comic songs. I'd say, what kind of fool are we talking? Then, what kind of font? <laughs> Do we know, Jeff, what state he was in? I mean, like inebriation-wise, and and all of that. I'm not sure, Charlie. It's possible to drink that much. I think you've just got you've just got to be in a you've just got to be in a state to even contemplate having that done. I mean, but who who is going to derive pleasure from that? I mean, I just. I can't get my head round. But, yeah, it's t- look, Cheers Jeff has taken on a life of its own. But the funny thing about it is, well, make, makes me chuckle, this is my, this has become my catchphrase, but it's, I never say it. So I've got a catchphrase that I never utter, which is, I'm not sure what the terminology for that is. My question is, how do you decide which butt cheek to go for? But I think, we, we don't want to get bogged down on this, Jeff. We have so much to cover. And um, now we could talk bogged about down, butt cheeks all day. There. Mm, yes. A, a running theme in your book is your your kind of willingness to work a room and your willingness to kind of make contacts to keep that to keep that journey going but as with all kind of football industry jobs that there is a there's a kind of touch of nepotism i really enjoyed this but by sheer fluke my mum used to play squash with john motson's wife Anne. <laughs> it's these little things that open the door isn't it really jeff yeah i don't think i could have got where i am today without st albans city squash club <laughs> and the, uh, the the club the club nights that it offered in the early seventies, with its um, avocado green chairs as you walked in, oh, nice. and these um, magnificent motifs. And the squash club, of course, the squash club was embellished with the queue was a guy holding a racket for the queue, which was just magnificent. We're talking full on early seventies here. <laughs> but it's, it's it's yet another one of those coincidences, isn't it? It was um, it helped so much, so much. Like many many people now, I, I do feel. I'm, talking to the experts here I can't come up with a better cliche than sliding doors moment can you offer mm. anything else mm. you, you two, road, you know, you something two, like that you two, have been, you two have been sold to me by my publishers I love saying that by the way yeah, my publishers crazy. in the same way I say I was on the phone to my literary agent <laughs> <laughs> as opposed to my literally agent <laughs> so yeah can you come up with any better than sliding doors moments well I think yeah fork in the road maybe it probably I mean sliding doors is probably the one um, so you can't then well, challenging. Yeah, there probably is a sliding doors moment. You two were sold to me as wordsmith supreme, understanding of football language jargon personified, and there would be no challenge that you could not take on and beat with relish. I don't know who has told you this, um, but I can assure you we're, we're just Your warming publicist. up. <laughs> yeah, just warming up. You've got us on our back. You've got us on the back foot, which is fine. Good work from you, but trust me, trust me. There's more to come. Speaking of making contacts, this led me down something of a rabbit hole. um, Here's a little passage that you wrote. It said, uh, I phoned Peter Shreves, who was then manager at Spurs, and despite me telling him he was my grandfather's cousin, and that was why we shared the surname, he wasn't interested. In fact, on the few occasions when I've met him over the years, he always greets me with, hello, Gary. So much for keeping it in the family. Are you related to Peter Shreves? Yes, he is is my grandfather's cousin. We We are related, and he knows who I am. And without fact, honestly, it's like only fools and horses, <laughs> Trigger and Rodney. <laughs> this is why you call me Dave. <laughs> when I explain it, he didn't quite say sorry, Gary, but it's the same thing. For some reason, he's got in his head, my name is Gary. Um, it, it, well, it's not a belittling thing. I mean, like Jose Mourinho once called Gareth Southgate Gary, and we were all very curious as to know whether that was him, sort of, you know, a bit of one-upmanship. He insisted it wasn't. Do you think, do you think that is the case, or do you think he genuinely doesn't know with you? Oh, 100% doesn't know. 
Right. 100% doesn't matter. You're not a Gary. You don't look like a Gary to me. You're a Jeff all day long. But we're speaking of sliding... Hey, I'm not sure what a Gary looks like and all sorts of names that's going out of fashion, as I often point out to my my friend and colleague at Sky. You know, there's not many Jeffs in football. No. This may well be another sliding doors moment for you because... um, I went to, I was directed towards the Wikipedia page for Peter Shreves, and uh, there is a section of his Wikipedia page simply says name. Here we go. There is some confusion about his name. His name is variously spelled Shreve and Shreves in different sources, as he mentions in an interview for the 2008 book The Boys from White Hart Lane. The Tottenham website still gives the spelling Shreves, but he says, My real name is Shreve. But over the years, I've had so many people getting it wrong that in the end, I thought, Ah, well, why not? It's Shreves. I've looked in the club handbooks and I see one year my name is spelt with an S at the end. The next, it's Shreve. So there seems to be an almighty confusion. My, my first question here, Charlie, is that why would someone just let that happen? Yeah, that does seem strange. <laughs> well, you mean, well, maybe it was harder then to, you know, to, to get your voice out in the same way. Now you could just instantly nip that in the bud. Release a statement. Yeah, yeah, of the official communication. But, but Jeff, this must be a huge blow to you because uh, the whole thing is just it's built on sand. This whole story. Which which element is built on sand? <laughs> I, I, I'm just saying that his name is Peter Shreve and you're a Shreves and uh, I fear for this family connection. Oh, I see. Oh, so you're, you're now doubting that yes. he's actually a relative. So yeah. you're not only calling me a liar, but my father <laughs> and my late great-grandfather, William Sorry. Shreves. Sorry. Okay, how, how do you want me to back this up and further it? Are, are uh, you looking for some sort of family tree? <laughs> is this the is this the point where tempers are inflamed and money goes down? Yeah, I'm interested God. in this. I haven't got enough money for this. No way. I, I, I'll take your word for it. I'm just I'm just I'm just putting trying to put a fly in the so you're, here. You 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 think providence is in question? Just take it up with him. That's what I'm saying. Why are you pluralised and he's not? I just want to know. Well, I think that's an individual choice because as you as you know in football. We, I mean, most people don't call me Jeff. Well, I, I get called a variety of things, even by my friends. So if you work in, in fact, Adam, you've got probably, so Charlie would be Eckers if he's in a squad. Easy. And you've got one of those names, Adam, that just doesn't work in football. You can't, you can't be Hurry-O. You can't be Hurry-Z. Hurry-E. Could it be Huzz? Huzzer? Something mm. like that. I've never heard it with you, Adam, but if, you had, always, if it had to Charlie, be done... Charlie, there you go. Charlie, proof is in the pudding. It just doesn't work. You were cut mm. out to be in football, Adam. <laughs> oh, that's not fair. Couldn't I have one of those sort of um, vague nicknames like Smudger or Razor or Digger or something like that, just in the middle somewhere that, you know, that I don't have to kind of justify Se- whatsoever? Several names were springing into mind as you said that, but it was none of them. Oh, okay. <laughs> that is a shame. Actually, no, you'd probably, you'd probably be... You'd be a clever nickname, given that your surname is Hurry. Yes, so the lads like Speed would, the lads or something. Would, yeah, the lads would... No, Hurry, can we do better? I think the <laughs> lads would call you Rushy. Great-grandparent was called Rush, would you believe? Now, did he spell it the same as you, or did he take the Y <laughs> off of his? He, he is coming in all guns firing today. Um, speaking of which, Jeff... All guns firing? Is that the same as all guns blazing? Shut up! <laughs> yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> a mixed metaphor. I can't believe this is happening. <laughs> Oh, that was that was buckling under under the uh, intensity of this attack. The silver lining to this cloud, Jeff, is that at least I know you're not half-assing this. You are properly going for it, and this is this is great news. No Unlike one, no one but you to me. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, speaking of all guns blazing, a story that you tell about the launch of the Premier League in 1992. You know, th- there's lots of sort of kind of glamorous, almost chintzy kind of feel to the launch of the Premier League with the with the cheerleaders and the. Alive and kicking advert and all that sort of stuff, but it's all it all could have got very, very serious and almost tragic. This is the story you tell about the fireworks at, at the Dell <laughs> when a rocket shot out of the stadium and into a local petrol station, travelling at head height and at <laughs> rapid speed, narrowly missing a bloke who was just filling up his motor, minding his own business. This could have been awful. Well, we did actually, unfortunately, we, we did have it did result in a death of fireworks. Um, which had you read the book, you would have seen I later have. on. And uh, yeah, that the firework incident at the petrol station, that was bad. And we were already, we already had, well, don't forget, we'd already set alight one of our own cameramen with a Catherine yes. wheel at the, at, the old, <laughs> at the old main road. So there was that. But then uh, a lady contacted Southampton Football Club and said that the fireworks had caused her pet cat to have a heart attack and pass away as a result of the shock of listening to the fireworks. So at that point, we decided that uh, perhaps this wasn't such a good idea after all and the, <laughs> the fireworks slowly were, well, actually, fairly swiftly were withdrawn. Charlie, 
Um, this one's for you next. We've we've um, celebrated in the past um, during Andy Gray's golden era of co-commentary his his ability to create imaginary conversations in during football passages of play. And I I, I often wonder if if Andy Gray used to sort of speak like that in real life. And uh, this is what um, piece of advice Andy Gray had for Jeff Shreves one time. Listen, son, just keep knocking on the door because one day someone will open it and you'll be standing there waiting to come in. He just talks like that anyway. This is great. That is brilliant. And that is, yeah, sounds like very good advice. Yeah. In football and in life. How, how long would you have to wait at the door, Jeff? Well, the, the, uh, once again, um, the, the rabbit hole of uh, taking such examples and overanalyzing them is where it falls apart. Because what it's, it's a bit like your podcast, I'm sure, in the early days, wasn't necessarily the best. I'm sure <laughs> it, it took you, 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 am I right? You probably didn't get great guests on either. Too so right. it probably took you to get like a big name, and really get it going. Probably took you probably at least two hundred podcasts. <laughs> really landed the big the big fish. No, what he was saying there was because I was desperately trying to make the jump from floor manager and fixer to reporter, and I kept getting knocked back. I kept getting knocked back. What he says, look, just keep going, keep going. almost irritate people into submission, into giving you the role you want. So I understood exactly what he was saying. Uh, and it was it was good advice because you know it's it's like all walks of life. It's it's easy to give up. And when people come to me and they say, "Oh, I want to do this. I want to do that in the media, etc." I just tell them, "Keep trying and trying and trying." Because ultimately, there's only one person I think can tell you that you can't do this, and that's yourself. So, say you are a student, you come out of university, you've got your media degree, you've done a few bits and pieces, and you're just not getting the breaks. Now, nobody can tell you you're not good enough. Nobody can tell you you're not right for this. If you then get to sort of age 45 and you're still trying and you haven't had the break, then you're probably going to say to yourself, maybe I'm not cut out for this because nobody seems to agree with that I'm the right person for this. So that's kind of the gist of it. Now, I mentioned that there was a story in this book that, that made you so perfect, this podcast. Now, I'm, I'm stunned and delighted by the level of pedantry <laughs> in this story. It goes all the way back to 2001 and the FA Cup final when Sky also had the rights to show the final as well as the terrestrial channels. And uh, you personally went to the FA for permission to to get the engraver involved in the latter stages of the game. So to just show the kind of the, the trophy being engraved right at the That's end. Right. And there was a very kind of tight time period. So you got this all sorted out. The FA kind of grudgingly agreed to do it. And, uh, Not it grudgingly, grudgingly. Enthusiastically went okay. along with it. Loved sorry, it. Much, sorry. Much, much to my surprise, I thought there's no way they'll have it. You know, FA setting their ways. They couldn't have been more supportive because I, I laid out the case. I went to them. I showed the timings from the previous 10 finals from the moment the referee whistled the final whistle and then it was in the captain's hands and hoisted aloft and I also they gave me permission to go and speak to their engraver Mm -hmm. we did a couple of dummy engravings so no they they were all for it and it was all born from I don't know if either of you two are golfers but I I just love in the in the open when they're coming up the final stretch and the guy is somebody's clearly ahead or if it goes to a playoff top right hand corner little circle Mm. you see their name being engraved on the trophy and I, I just wanted to, I just thought, why can't we do that in football? So so it all went quite smoothly. Stephen Gerrard lifting the trophy that had been yeah. engraved live on Sky Sports. But you got a bit of stick for it because um, one columnist said that Gerard had been forced to wait to lift the trophy, <laughs> but you came back with your research. You hit him with the data. Mickey Dennis uh, is a good guy. He battered us in uh, his column in the Evening Standard. I think it was on the Monday. He said, we ruined the FA Cup final by this ridiculous gimmick by Sky Sports, who made the players wait, who made the fans wait, who made all the viewers wait for the FA Cup to be presented. Well, these fools <laughs> um, fiddled with tradition, etc., etc. So I rang Mick and I said, look, Mick, I just want to point something out to you. I'll make the numbers up here. It was along the lines of, I timed the last 10 cup finals. 10 finals? The, yeah. Well, we did. It was easy to do because we had the tapes. So we, so we took the last took the last 10 finals. Said, right, the quickest from the, sorry, the slowest from referee's whistle, the trophy being in the captain's hands was, let's say, 12 minutes, 32 seconds. The quickest it's ever been is 10 minutes, 32 seconds. (laughs) On Saturday, on Saturday, it was nine minutes, 36 seconds. So it's the quickest it's ever been for 10 years. That is sensational. So now Mick, in fairness to Mick, a good journalist, he said, well, he said, then I'm completely wrong. I'll I'll write an apology and I shall withdraw my criticism. I'm, I'm really, really sorry. 
he just hadn't done his due diligence. I said, no, I just wish he'd phone me. I said, I just, I just wish he'd phone me, Mick. Come on, it's not rocket. We all know each other around the street. All the media guys know each other. Just give us a ring. It's not a big deal. I had a spreadsheet. Should have known. I think that's one of the finest, first and finest users of data analytics in football. You know, you, you know, we're obsessed with numbers now. That was sort of ahead of its time. But that's uh, that's when data and football meets in a very effective way. I'm stunned. It's so good. I'm so happy that you did this. Um, but Well, that, that, that came under the expectation trophies um, <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i've and I, I expected think, I weight think i think i think i'm due an assist for it the engraver got the credit for actually hitting the target so to speak mm. yeah okay yeah i put myself down for that one but pedantry has come back to bite you on some occasions because uh your, this final excerpt from your book you're interviewing uh, louis van Gaal, and uh, almost almost in a kind of autopilot touchline reportery kind of way you just said best of luck for today and he said what do you mean and you said you know good luck all the best for today and uh, it turned out that he he took serious issue with this yes i'm not sure about um finest traditions of touchline reporter most I mean even even opposing managers wish each other all the best good. before a game but louis uh he, he is such a character he's a fantastic character and uh, but he's just so so literal I mean, he he would be a challenge for you two on your program. Honestly, God, I'd love to on see this him. Basis, yeah, him and oh, Dave Walker he, would get on very well. Mm. He's magnificent. I remember the first time I, one of the first I knew him in the chat from the Champions League. So I thought when he comes to Manchester United, he'll remember my fat little face and he'll be quite jolly <laughs> and he'll be fine. So first time I what I said, "Hey, Louis, how are you?" He went, "I am fine." And if I wasn't, I wouldn't tell you. That just sounds <laughs> annoying to deal with. I'm sorry, that just sounds really <laughs> annoying to deal with. But I've got, I've got to say, so he was, he was in some ways, he was quite difficult to deal with. But I think it was a kind of a, a Freudian, a, a front that he put on for the media. Because years later, I made a, a program called Football in Godfathers, and we did a series of experienced managers. And I went out to Portugal to see him and uh, went down with the producer to meet him the night before. He was really jolly. So well, come and have a meal, come have a couple of glasses of wine so you get to know me, etc. And then... Um, so we sit there talking. The producer was sat sort of slightly, he was stood slightly behind him. I said, Look, you know, I'll reveal the real you, get draw out from you. And already he changes straight down because he doesn't want to be revealing himself. I said, I'll even tell the famous Louis Van Hull joke. Like his face is like that, the switch. He's like, What is the Louis Van Hull joke? <laughs> Half a step back, my producer's going, <laughs> <laughs> But now I'm ploughing on now. I said, I was told that when you went for the Manchester United job, you sat down with Ed Woodward. And at the end of it, Ed Woodward said, Louis, fantastic, unbelievable. Job's yours. You know, you're so well qualified. Absolutely brilliant. Sensational CV. Brilliant interview. Amazing analysis. I'm just actually wondering whether or not you have any faults whatsoever. Hmm. Louis' face is now stone. Right? Producers think, right, shoots off tomorrow. This is just ending badly and ending here now. I said, and you said to um, Ed, Yes, my biggest fault is I'm too honest. At which point Ed said, well, I don't think of honesty as a fault. And you said, I don't give up what you think. <laughs> right, at which point there's this nanosecond of silence and then Louis burst out laughing. I am liking this joke. I shall tell it on German television. <laughs> the producer just about gets himself back together. And he was great. He was really, really good. And that, that, kind of, that joke suited his literal way. Uh, of being we should get him on we should definitely try and get mm. him on he'd be great fun um, oh amazing for a short period hey, you, you think you think I'm hard work and get stuck into you good luck with that <laughs> I, I'm stunned by how much hard work you, you're being but this is great this is what we wanted right before we get finally stuck into your footballing loves and hates um, a little brief adjudication panel for you to join us on first of all Charlie some Papa John's trophy disgrace from Bolton Wanderers on Tuesday night they tweeted about their second goal against Leeds United under 21s with this goal Breakthrough finally comes again as Bakayoko doubles the lead. 2-0. <laughs> not having no. a second breakthrough in a game where you no. haven't conceded a goal. Certainly not when you haven't conceded. Mm. Maybe you could have a breakthrough and even then at a push at 1-1 and you've been pushing really hard and then you find that breakthrough. But you, yeah, you can't break through again to, to, to double your lead. Exactly. Uh, Jeff, breakthroughs for 1-0 only, correct? Million percent. Million percent. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, fair play. Next up, this news has floored me, Charlie Eccleshare. Someone as in, as in error, mistake, flawed. Uh, no, has sent me to the floor. Okay. Um, someone was watching. Uh, someone was consuming Northampton versus Arsenal under twenty ones in the Papa Johns, and was very, very unsettled to hear that co-commentary 
came from Peter Walton. Who what? let this happen? Who let what? him be promoted to co-commentary duties? Can't have is... referees doing co-commentary. I'm not going to allow it. That's extraordinary. No, not the first. I mean, time. fitting. I guess it's in this competition where you do experiment with, you know, with younger players or less experienced options. But that feels very odd. BBC Radio Northampton. Has this been verified? Yeah, BBC Radio Northampton. It's not his first time. Uh, Jeff, what kind of doors is he knocking on? Ones that are unlikely to be opened for the wider <laughs> commentary world. I would <laughs> politely suggest. Seems like a lovely bloke, but wow. Oh, Pete's a great guy. Really yeah. good guy. Yeah. Right, finally, this one from Nesbit Economou, who says, I find it really funny and unnecessary that commentators still say things like the fourth official is readying his electronic board as if it's some sort of cutting-edge technology that we should still be awed by. Why is the circuitry still so novel to us? But it got me thinking about this, Jeff. Um, electronic boards, as far as my research tells me, were introduced in the Premier League around 1998. So you've been sat there on a touchline for around about, for, for what some of our listeners might be a, something of a lifetime. My question to you is, in an emergency, if it's like a life or death situation, could you fully operate a fourth official's electronic substitution board? Great question. Well, you've only got to look back to Sunday at Anfield. Mo Salah scores the only goal of the game, Liverpool win. He was nearly taken off because there was a mistake on the electronic scoreboard. So if the pros at the club are still somehow cack-handed and not making it work. There's no chance of me going anywhere near that thing. Absolutely zero chance. I just thought you, the knowledge would have sort of oozed into you by osmosis what, my, over what, the years. My, my, my early brushes with data and, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I can see where you're coming from, but I, I, think I'm mad, I, I, I think I'm mad enough in certain areas, but not mad enough to take the pressure. You imagine, so remember donkeys years ago, Jimmy Hill took over as a linesman. Mm. Our own mm. legendary floor manager, John Smart, you've probably seen him on the touchline with the, the white hair. He looks like the angel of death. He's an absolute right. legend in the game. <laughs> Qualified referee. He took over as fourth oh. uh, oh, once. Wow. Yeah, uh, Sky game. getting too close to the action there, I think. But no, I, I, not, no chance would I do that. Okay, noted. Final point on this, Charlie. I actually think Jeff Shreves is quite a fourth official's e-name, so um, don't rule it out. Yeah, it could be. Fourth official yeah. Jeff Shreves has indicated four minutes of injury uh, time. By the way, boys, would you agree with me? I used, I used to think that referee is the worst job in football. Mm. The worst job. In, but I have now transferred my thought process to the fourth official. Mm. Yeah. Because I, I'm, I'm stood or sat by them most of the time. Yeah. They get absolutely lambasted. They get dog's abuse left, right and centre in both ears. Mm. And the subject of the ire is decisions they didn't make mm. and decisions they can do nothing about. <laughs> you're just you're literally the there line. just to be vented out, aren't you? Just, you know, to sort of let the managers get out their frustrations. It's a, it's a horrible role. I think that's definitely mm. their unofficial job, isn't it? Just to absorb it. I think mm. I'm Human punch bag. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of which... It's time for Mesut Harland Dicks. But first, just time to remind you that the Football Clichés podcast is going on its live tour in November. Join us at Earth in Hackney on the 8th of November, Manchester's New Century Hall on the 15th of November, and Dublin's Liberty Hall Theatre on the 16th of November. It promises to be the most pedantic night of your footballing lives. Should be fun. Join us. Hello, James Richardson here, presenter of The Totally Football Show. It's a show about football, and sometimes it's about life, and usually it's about an hour long. This Thursday, it's particularly about the midweek Premier League games, Ten Hag against Conte, South Coast Derby dust-up between uh, Bournemouth and Saints, and the story tradition of the all-West London-Brentford-Chelsea clash. I'll be asking dumb questions. Duncan Alexander, Karl Anker and Ahmed Schubel will have clever answers, and you can find all of that by searching for The Totally Football Show wherever you get your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. 
Head over to MichelobeUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Oh, look at that! That is wonderful! Brought to your ears by The Athletic. This is Football Clichés. Welcome back, and it's time for Meza Harland Dicks with our guest, Jeff Shreves. I've waited a lifetime for this, it feels, of finally getting to ask Jeff Shreves... What's the thinking there? Can't wait. Jeff, tell us about your first fascination of football, please. <laughs> I've got I've got a, quite a few, to be honest with you. Let's start off with something that happened fairly recently. We covered Arsenal against Liverpool. And in a post-match interview, I did Gabriel Martinelli and Bukayo Saka. Normal interview, the guys, good fun, off they trot. Then I think Klopp came in. We're doing the various interviews because we have these little interview rooms. And then um, one of the Arsenal backroom staff came in, uh, a track-suited person. So somebody cut, obviously, from the technical side in the dressing room. He said, did Gabby leave his um, shin pads in here? I said, no. So I looked around, couldn't see anything. And because of the nature of the, the soundproofing, it is a fairly dark room. We've got our lights. He's just going out the door and the camera went, hang on, what's that down there? Okay. Now he picked up, he picked right. Be an exaggeration to say it's the same size as mine. These shin pads, I swear, were no bigger than a cigarette packet each. We were absolutely minuscule. Now, I know it is the laws of the game that have to wear shin pads, but what's the point? What is the point? I mean, we, when I was a kid, we played with our shin pads for the kind of things that wicket keepers wear. Yeah, now. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Proper one. So when somebody, I, I, I was absolutely, I knew they were small. I knew shin pads had gotten smaller, but I was stunned. So I, what I'm fascinated to know is who in professional football wears the smallest shin pads and what size are they? I honestly think we, we are now down to the, the micro pad. When you raised this one, you, you it was quite cryptic the way you phrased it. You just said, Gabriel Martinelli, there was a shin pad incident post-interview after the Liverpool. <laughs> the mind boggled about what this could conceivably be. I had all sorts of images in my head, but I'm, I'm glad it, we've got, this conversation has turned to tiny shin pads, Charlie. Um, I think a lot of people don't realise is that these tiny shin pads, which are kind of, as Jeff correctly states, are about the size of a very small computer mouse, I think is the best way to describe it. They are commercially available. Um, I can't remember what the brand name is, but like they are out there. Like if, if amateur footballers want to expose their shins, then they can well do for a small, small fortune. I'd imagine they those would be very popular. People love Sorry. people love to sort of wear what the what the pros are wearing. Mm. Sorry, Charlie. The other thing about them as well is when you when you look at the players up close, they wear them halfway up the shin. Now, I'm not of a, a medical disposition or background, yeah. but halfway up the shin. I mean, for me, your shin is sort of the top of your ankle, the front of your foot, the first sort of six inches. Would you say that's your shin that you would wear your shin pads for? Yeah, these things right. are mid- midway between knee and top of front of ankle on front of foot. What's I that am- going to protect? That's right. I'm fascinated, Jeff, by where they think the sweet spot of the shin is for this kind of two inch block of plastic someone must have run the data somewhere and said this is the optimum place of the shin to cut um you know as a data man yourself you have to understand that this might be a possibility yeah i, I think it's a possibility but, but i've got my extreme doubts i think it's the pla- the players just don't they really don't want anything the same way that they cut holes in the back of their socks as mm. well now it's just vandalism. The, the whole thing's just gone to, to, to allow uh, their calves to breathe which <laughs> Sounds like an agricultural term to me, but there you go. Yeah, you are. Right, so yeah, I'm, I'm glad we covered tiny shin pads because it is a growing concern in the game. I'm amazed that someone hasn't done a deep dive on this yet. Mm. Um, Jeff, tell us about your second fascination of football, please. I love, I love, and this is the skill 
of uh, a sound supervisor mm. and you, you don't get it all the time and, and it's there's a reason for it i love during a game when and you need almost like a, a perfect scenario you need there to be a hush in the crowd but it's all down to the dexterity and and the skill of the sound supervisor you know when you hear the ball hit the post or the bar really cleanly yeah and you also hear the proper ripple of the mm. net now this this involves several factors mm-hmm. you know, at the time commentator isn't shouting goal or there's not a huge crowd noise or or, or whatever but I, I went, because I knew I was coming on your guy's show this week, I went into the soundtrack at Anfield in okay. preparation for this. Wow. Wow. And I spoke to the guy, I spoke to the two guys in there. And how, what you need is you've got 13 pitch mics and the guy is riding a fader. So if someone hits one from long range and it, or, you know, it's, it's quick, then he's not going to get it. Because what he needs to do is simultaneously fade down the other pitch mics and fade up the pitch mic right behind the goal to capture the sound. Wow. So it's he's watching the game, as well as all his other uh, work. He's got you know, the commentators, the studio mics, all those things. He's riding these buttons to try and get that sound. It's, it's not often you hear it perfectly. And when you do, it's just a magnificent sound. I mean, cricket has stolen leather on Willow. We, we need something here to give football its rightful place in the lexicon of sporting sounds and, and for me it's just a it's just a fantastic moment i love i love that sound on the rare occasion you actually hear it it's really funny you say that because i was watching goals from the lockdown period where there were no crowds and one of the very very few benefits to that some of the goal noises were absolutely spectacular there was one i think it was the last day of that 1920 season chelsea uh, beat wolves to secure a place in the champions league the goals there's something about it, it it's even with no fans there, it's even more visceral and i wonder if one of those goals or both of them were one of those examples you're saying Jeff where they get it just absolutely spot on but you know it when you hear it and it is there is something amazing about it yeah I mean you're right with no crowd there that obviously that's one element he's he's taken out for the sound supervisor so that helps them in that scenario but absolutely when, when you hear it the fact that you picked up on it as well for me vindicates my mm. selection and it's quite some pressure coming on this show given its reputation yeah to come up with something that your expert viewers haven't raised themselves before so I'm, I'm glad you're in, in accordance there do, we've, do you know we've, we've talked about the the satisfaction of a ball hitting a woodwork before and the sound that it that it makes but I did what I didn't realize Jeff that it was in the lap of the technological gods that it's just in its pure luck pure chance pure expert expertise that we get to hear it and someone has think, to twiddle the knob first twiddle is incorrect it's a it's a fader it's a sliding motion the other thing is well, i think we're aided by the the posts certainly the premier league obviously they're not wooden anymore but they're also they're hollow so they, they're not so they're not solid so i think that adds to the acoustics as well as you opposed to hitting a song yeah and it's all right it, Honestly, it only works if it goes in. If it hits it and comes out, mm, no big deal. Yeah. yeah. The ultimate is a a belter, smacks, and then ripples. Yeah, smack and ripple. I tell you, there's a different sound as well. Not that I've studied this. At some some grounds, there used to be a metal bar along the bottom of the back of the net, Mm. a small metal bar. That can make quite a good noise Mm. as well. Yeah, some shots can sort of raise it off the floor a little bit. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Quite more of a modern phenomenon, that one. Um, we asked our listeners, Jeff, for uh, so their suggestions of similar sonic phenomena in live televised football. Matthias wrote in and said, the best sound is a goalkeeper smacking their gloves together incredibly loudly in an attempt to put off a penalty taker. There is no, there's no bassy sound like it in football, is there, Jeff? A thump of a goalkeeper's glove. It's good. It's good. Uh, I've just got a question about goalkeepers is why they're such angry people. Mm. <laughs> now, so you, you'll see a goalkeeper pull off a worldie and he immediately berates his defence. I know. The Schmeichel <laughs> manoeuvre. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Love yeah. that. Yeah, quite yeah, quite quite like quite like the th- the thump of um goalkeeper all right let's crank things up a notch with this one then rob barker a truly great football sound the ball goes out for a throw-in and hits the pitch side mic a split second later the camera cuts to the final moment of a player stopping himself using an advertising hoarding as he goes over the top has to be that whole package there is i mean i think it's it's a level up charlie from the goalkeeper's glove thud is the thud of someone colliding with the boom mic at the side of a pitch yeah it's it's lovely to hear it it, it is yeah there's a slight feeling of oh god i hope he's okay (laughs) but um (laughs) 
adds an element of jeopardy, I yeah. suppose. Yeah, Jeff. If you're going to go, pitch, if you're going to go pitch side Mike moments, you've got to go to Muriquet's bar. Yes, the man, the man, the man owns the genre. Mm. Never mm. ever will it be bettered. Agreed. Simple as. There's not even anybody in second or third place out there on his own. <laughs> Too right. Right, Jeff, time for football fascination number three, please. We've seen, and I, I know, I'm sure you will have covered previously, how managers' attire has changed over the years. Mm-hmm. We've changed a great... We've, we've basically changed from the traditional, indeed mandatory, club blazer, shirt and tie to suit to a more casual approach yeah. to now people, managers, some managers looking like they're going to a rave. So it really it really has changed <laughs> completely. The one thing I don't get, and I think this is I think this is down to the Steve McLaren moment with the Broly. <laughs> now Steve McLaren, I mean you I really a lot of managers I don't get this at all. A lot of them when it's pouring with rain, they stand there without a coat on. Sure. We've seen Stoic. it many, many times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why? How how does that help your team? You not putting a coat on. I mean, Arsene Wenger couldn't put a coat on. We know that. Yeah. How does that help? No idea. Mm. So I think this is to do with the not wanting to be the first. So would you agree with me, chaps, that no manager ever, ever, ever again would use a brolly? It's not going to happen, is it? Because certainly not in this country. Yeah. No, stigma's too too high. Yeah. Right. Okay. Now, two grounds in particular, and there are plenty of others across the country. Stamford Bridge. And Anfield. When the sun is out on the far side, yeah. you cannot see a thing. You can't see a thing. And particularly the low winter sun, it's absolutely blinding. Managers are already in a poor position to see the game because A, because of the camber of the pitch. Mm-hmm. Far side, mm-hmm. when you stand in a manager's position, far side, you see from about the knee upwards. You can't mm-hmm. see yeah, the it's ball. bad. Yeah. So it's a poor position anyway. We see managers and players. Uh, the subs bench doing this business the whole time <laughs> they, can't, they can't see right they cannot see a thing why would you not wear sunglasses why would you not wear sunglasses to aid your vision and I think it's purely because they're frightened of being ridiculed so it, it's a it's a fact that optically it would improve their ability to see the game this is true and they won't do it what? And, and there's, there's a sponsorship opportunity for somebody mm. here. Yeah. yeah. The, the guys on the bench, little wraparounds, proper sport. I mean, in golf, they wear sunglasses because they're hitting a shot into the sun. And guess what? It's so they can play better and in their sport, mm. perform better. They don't even wear a cap. Sprinters what? wear those ones in at night for the glare. Mm. You know, all, all these I, marginal games. I'd love to see a, a Premier League manager with the sort of the, the black paint underneath their eyes to <laughs> the, the anti-glare paint that I think rugby players wear. Or is it American I, footballers? American footballers. I yeah. do. I may well stand corrected because I believe I believe I'm right in saying that Louis Van Gaal once was well, has worn sunglasses on the touchline, and that it brings this potentially full circle because he would have done it for the logical reason. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It helps. I'd, I'd love to see better. you ask him about that after the game, Jeff. <laughs> What's the thinking there, Louis? <laughs> yeah. How little shrift he would have given that. <laughs> You know what? What? Charlie, he wouldn't. He he would, you, he would have looked. He would have looked at me. He said, "Would did you not see the sun? You, I can't <laughs> see the pitch. So therefore, I am wearing sunglasses." <laughs> I'm trying so, to think of sunglasses, potentially sunglass wearing. What well, I was thinking is and staff. What would be great, Adam, would be if we had the time to go through every. Maybe we can think about this for a future episode. Every Premier League manager and what sunglasses they would wear. What? Who would be the very practical Oakleys? I was going to say, who's very the most fashion? Oakley wearing yeah. Premier League manager? Hazenhood's always a bit oakley to me. Yeah, but proper ski ones, I imagine him <laughs> in. Like, ve- like, very good equipment. Because he sometimes wears the gloves that are like proper ski gloves. Yeah. He's, he's got well, you, like the alpine wear. You know, you know whatever Pep chooses, he's going to look cool in it because he looks cool in anything, doesn't he? Let's be honest. He's, he's going he's to look the part. Um, Te- a technical point here, Jeff. Where would you mm-hmm. stand on transition lenses? Ooh, interesting. How effective are What's the efficacy rate of them? That's a good point. I mean, when the light good, does change, you do have to wait for it. Then you could end up looking silly if, if the clouds are come in and you're still fully I'm, I'm, shaded. I'm not, com- I'm not convinced on that one because, no, I don't think it would cut out the glare enough. Um, what about caps? I mean, there, there, there's the cap option as well that some managers wear. Do you, not, do you not think... 
cap. Yeah, in. you sound like Thomas Tuchel. I think of as quite a cap, cap kind of guy. Yeah, it does feel like a hair yeah, but, issue as well, doesn't it? But, but few, but few yeah, of them wear wear caps. Very few. Yeah. Um, producer Dave has chimed in with this. Says Roy Hodgson wore sunglasses on the Watford bench last season, but crucially said it was because he had shingles. We're talking about big aviators here. He says, "I'm not sure about aviators, Jeff. That would be a bad look." <laughs> I think it's a. Uh... It's a matter of well, for a start, it'd be a matter of personal choice. Right. But should the league managers' association start to take this on board and realise there is a, a sponsorship opportunity here, it may not be a matter of personal choice. In the same way, you get players or managers on a club feed saying, "This is my choice of tomato sauce. There's yeah. no other." If you're a true red, this is the red for you. Type Money scenario. talks, doesn't it, Jeff? It's going to happen one day, isn't it? And um, yeah, on this- I think so. On the first point that you made about how sort of the general dress code of Premier League managers has gone towards kind of smart casual at best, do you now mm. feel a little bit overdressed? Because you're still kind of sky blazer, right? No. Oh. I'm glad you're keeping up. <laughs> Don't often see you on screen, that's the thing. You're not, you're not much of a kind of Gabriel Clark, Dez Kelly type. You're not easing in on the uh, shot, so I don't get to see you very often. We, um, we, don't, wear, we don't wear ties anymore, for a start. Um, it's much more casual, our uh, dress. It's mainly in terms of you know the the sneaker type shoes, mm. yeah, that that type of scenario. So I, look, it's not the managers of if you if you think about it, it's a reflection of society. The amount of people who wear suit and tie is far far less than it used to be, and the managers are a reflection of that as well. So I get that, I get that, but I still think there's a place. I still think there's a place for smart attire. When you started, did you have like a Trilby hat with a little piece of paper stuck in it, like a true yeah, reporter? Yeah, it, it, it said press on the <laughs> side. I had a big camera that did flash stuff as well, of course. <laughs> Fantastic. Right, those were Jeff Shree's footballing fascination. And now it's time for your hatreds of football. Let's simply call them irritations, Jeff. Tell us about your first one. Yeah, you can't hate anything football, don't you? No, not people, I guess, say that a lot, but it's fine. Mm. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I think language is important and okay. um, it, it's emotive. And if you, you don't hate things, that's irritants. Right, okay, let's, let's stay with managers. Let, let's go to the, the dismissal of a manager at a club. He's, been, he's had an absolute shocker. He's been useless. He's, he, is, he has got one point out of a possible 19. It's just an absolutely wrong, wrong, wrong scenario. He gets sacked. Said club says, we'd like to place on record our thanks for all of his efforts. Da, 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 da. Now, that's insulting enough to intelligence. It's then when it's clearly, clearly part of the payoff agreement via whoever the manager releases a statement who wants to thank the club for his time there, how much he enjoyed it, etc., etc. When having spoken to the manager so many times, they've said they didn't give him the money they promised, the training facilities he uses. Who who can honestly read these things with mm. any with any kind of feel that this is authentic? But that's why I think it makes it's a real it makes for good reading when it's a break from norm. Charlie, do you remember when um, Chelsea sacked Frank Lampard mm. and? Abramovich felt the need to address it in an extra way. That's authentic. Mind you, mm. the Chelsea dismissal statements probably just cut and paste, isn't it? <laughs> so, but uh, are you with me? It just all oh, yeah. so is so, oh, it's it's the traditional thing to do. We've got to do it. It just doesn't do it for me at all. No, I totally agree. I think so, but so much of these sorts of things are just done because teams feel they have to do them and it, like you say it's totally pointless no one's getting anything from that and it almost does at times feel, when they're so generic it feels almost pointed um, hmm. because clearly no thought or emotion has gone into it just as I say no not, not for me Clive as I think a, a good friend of mine once said <laughs> right then Jeff tell us about your second irritation of football please Missed penalties and cancelled games. People talk about, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, right, the game's, the game's been cancelled, snow, coat, whatever. No, it hasn't been cancelled. It's been postponed. This is not rocket science. This game will be played at some point. It is not cancelled. It's postponed. Why do they do it? Please, please, come on, keep up. OK, at the weekend, what did Bamford of Leeds United and Johnson of Nottingham Forest have in common, Charlie? Oh, I see where you're going with this. They both didn't score penalties. And what would they have been reported as having done? Missed penalties. And who missed the penalty? Bamford missed the penalty. Johnson? His was saved, wasn't it? 
Correct. It's actually really funny you say this as well because I someone said about the Arsenal game they're like oh and there was a missed penalty and I did have to clarify I did say that because because it's used so fast and loose I did just want to check that is your um, issue there that you're not giving the keeper enough credit no no Josh with you Charlie for the first time today that's a great question I really like the way you <laughs> phrased that thanks very much you, Jeff. You, you you wove it you wove it in uh, Charlie I um, hope your book yeah, gets it's, pumped it's it's just. It's just correct terminology, isn't it? That's all. I'm not. A, I'm not a massive one for criticising commentators' language and expressions because, as you well know, my own work is out there for ridicule on a weekly basis. And trust me, it is ridiculed, which is fine. Which is fine. I just there's a few commentary expressions that I just I, I just adore. When a commentator says, "If I'm being honest," and then makes a point. What, because you habitually lie? Is this because most of the time when we hear from you, it's a complete untruth? Why, why would people preface anything they're going to say with, if I'm being honest? It's a well, this was in the Vardy Rooney uh, trial, and the judge had to step in and say, well, yeah, I hope you are being honest. Yeah. That's sort of the point here. <laughs> Another one. Often when I'm doing a cross with one of our pundits pre-match into sports news, I'll say, you know, what his strengths. So let's say we're talking Van Dyke and whoever the attacking player is. Well, to have any joy, he doesn't want to get involved in a foot race with him today. <laughs> now, I, lo- I love this because what's the alternative? Is it a, a wheelbarrow race? Mm-hmm. Is it an egg and spoon race? Mm-hmm. Why would you say? Why would you say a foot race? I've got no explanation for why we, foot race we have is discussed cricking. this before, haven't we? Yeah, Adam, it's we, so weird. Talk, it's such a weird yeah. thing to yeah. say. Um, and my fi- my final one, which I need, I think there needs to be. You know, there's a, a dubious goals panel. Yes. Well, I think we need a disallowed goal panel because when is it a disallowed goal and when isn't it? At the weekend, so a lot of the controversy at Anfield on Sunday was Phil Folden's disallowed goal. Mm. A number of people have said to me, though, what are you talking about? It wasn't a goal because the ref didn't give it, so therefore it's not a goal. Bang on. No, he went to VAR to verify whether or not the goal should stand. So what is... so? But by the same token, I I would say like Ronaldo's or there's a threshold where it's never, ever going to stand. So say somebody punches it in the net, it's very obvious... It's a, a straightforward card straight away, and it's never ever going to stand. To me, that's not a disallowed goal. Phil Foden right. was a disallowed goal. <clears throat> Ronaldo, I hadn't seen it. I read about it, and then when I saw it, I thought, nah, that's not a disallowed goal. Manchester United fans will disagree with me. Eric Ten Hag disagrees. He says we all saw it, but there's a common acceptance as to when an actual free kick has been taken. So. For the purposes of this discussion, for me at the weekend, Foden's was a disallowed goal. I'm not convinced that Ronaldo's was. I think there is a slight distinction here. What you'll sometimes see written down is, well, Newcastle did actually have the ball in the back of the net in the first half. That, to me, is a pretty casual, it's not really a disallowed goal. Can I stop you there? Right, Mm -hmm. right. Is it really the back of the net? Because the net places you, it's the front of the net. No, this is not. No, this is not true. This is common misconception, Jeff. Um, for example, if I said, "Would you like to get in the back of my car?" For example, I don't know what scenario this would be, but that would be the back of my car. What about the? Um, I don't know. The back of the cupboard, for example. It's the same concept. I wouldn't get in the back of your cupboard. <laughs> Good to know. But you, yeah, you it's, think it's the, the, net, the net has two sides. The net has a front and it has a back. No. It's the back of an enclosed area. Everyone knows what it means. The back of the room, for example. You wouldn't go down. You wouldn't go outside and go round to the back wall and knock on the wall. You're at the back of the room, which is at your the far end of the room. Come on, Jeff. You know and, you're wrong. I'm just getting into the spirit of this show. <laughs> uh, okay. and, and by the way, I think I think it's pedant, not pedant. <laughs> uh, right. I'm never we deviate as well again. because I think I think that is th- that is you're right though Jeff there there is especially now with VAR there's, there's a huge divergence of when a goal is a goal or a disallowed goal but I think that they had the ball in the back of the net is when it's a slightly low key we all knew it wasn't a goal because I think it's a, it is annoying when people are like they had three disallowed goals in the first half it's like mm, they didn't really what, what is the threshold we need we need a technical term we need a clear and precise ruling of what qualifies as a disallowed goal and it's what simple. doesn't it's simple if if the play is not stopped 
and the ball goes and the, and the and the goal is scored and then it is later decided that it isn't a goal that is a disallowed goal if the play is stopped and then the player kind of carries on playing and sort of absentmindedly sort of just taps it in because that's just you know their you know their muscle memory that's not a disallowed goal that's not the goal wasn't ruled out because the goal didn't exist in the first place it's all down to the whistle that's all it is but the but the waters are muddy now aren't they because even those ones that clearly in in days gone by the whistle would have gone but they just carry on and put it in anyway now they're allowed to go because as we well know, linesmen assistants are told, you know, don't put your flag up until the move's over. So you get more of those type of goals where the goal is technically scored, but we all know it's not really a disallowed I think goal. I think it's can't, can't help can't help but feel, Adam, that you're you're not. I don't know if this was you don't have the same connection as Charlie and I, but you're kind of glossing over this and trying to apply some sort of one size fits all ruling. So you're, you're so by your definition, purely muscle memory is not a disallowed goal. No, just simply tapping it in when you know that play has already been stopped is not a disallowed goal. If it is described as such, then it's just fraudulent. So, so Cross comes up. Well, don't forget, the whistle's got to go because the game needs to be restarted. Cross comes in. I rise like Superman at the back post. I clearly punch it. Everyone looks at me as if to say, you know, you remember like Sunday morning football, both teams turn around looking and say, you so-and-so idiot. It's not a goal. It's clearly not a goal. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not muscle memory. Is that a disallowed goal? Well, it will be yeah. a disallowed goal. Hoisted the whistle by your hasn't own gone. Batard. Your goal? No, it's not. It's not. You've punched the ball in the net. Whistle and go, whistle it doesn't goes, matter what everybody else goes. thinks. It doesn't matter what everybody... No, stop. Whistle, it doesn't matter what everybody else thinks. Handball. Whistle's yeah. gone for handball. Yeah. Well, you oh, said so when, what, if the whistle doesn't go, whistle went for handball. So, so, so the whistle did go for handball before the goal ball went in the net? No, I was close to the line. Wouldn't have had time to do it. So, so you scored a goal, the whistle, and the whistle goes for, to disallow the goal for handball. It doesn't matter how blatant the handball was. It's still it's, it's a technical point. You, mm. you scored, and until the referee blows his whistle, it is a legal goal. That's simple as that. No, it's not. Yes, <laughs> you it put is. The ball in your hand. How can you say it's a legal goal at any point if you put the ball in with your because hand? If the referee doesn't blow because his whistle until for handball, the moment the referee scored a goal. It. it counts. Everyone goes back to the centre circle and we kick off again. It's a goal. It doesn't matter if it was, you know, spiritually illegal or not. It wasn't called as such. This is the, this is the fact of the matter. <laughs> for, it to, for it to be spiritually illegal, do I have to ghost in at the far post? <laughs> <laughs> You've really arrived on this podcast. I'm glad I'm back. Anyway, thanks to my uh, dodgy Wi-Fi. Anyway, anyway, given how emotive this particular subject is, we asked our listeners for other pointless turns of punditry phrase. I really like this one from um, Kieran McGoran, who says, why do um, pundits say that managers have come out and said X? Why not just say said? And then there's, th- there's other things like, <laughs> Jeff, like, well, you know, sometimes managers, they, they, you know, they turn around and say this or, or players get to sit down at the end of the season. It's, um, it's such a weird thing for us to add on to the front of it, isn't it? Well, uh, I, th- I think that's fair enough because okay. let's say, um, <laughs> let's say Harry Kane went to see Daniel Levy about his future. That's a meeting that both would want to go well. I doubt they would meet in the office and both remain standing. So I think the sitting down is a formal, uh, it, it kind of sets the precedent, you know, it, it sets the tone for the meeting. You, you're reading the room, you would sit, we'll sit down and talk about it. Yeah, I'm with that. What was That's the first nicely one? argued, actually. That's nicely argued. Charlie, I'm on board with this, actually. That's fine. Yeah, although I guess the only thing with that is it's so obvious. Do you need that detail? I, don't, I mean, like you said, I don't think we're imagining that him and Daniel Levy are just stood around. Do we need to be told that they're going to sit down? Or could we just say we're going to discuss our contract at the end of the season? It's borderline, but I think it's... it's I think it'd be more remarkable if Harry Kane said, yeah, we're actually going to stand up and discuss my contract because, <laughs> you know, that's how I like to do it. That would be that would be more... Uh, that keeps his hamstrings activated by, by standing up. Yeah, the sort of thing Harry Kane would do. Yeah. Um, how about this, Jeff? I'm fascinated by, by the kind of um, global borders of judging a player's talent. This is from Sam, who says, a pointless turn of phrase is, in Europe, if not the world. Why is it we so cautious about sort of declaring a player's abilities in a global context? In Europe, he's one of the best players in Europe, you know, if not the world. Um, I'm, I'm going to have to go for Kenny Dalglish here. In her, Kenny, Kenny was somebody who, as reporters, as cub reporters, we were always told, imagine you're interviewing Kenny Dalglish. So if you say to Kenny, people say that Mike Newell can't play with so-and-so, with uh, Chris Sutton, Kenny would say, which people? Name them. Who are you talking about? So who, who on earth ever <laughs> said Europe or the world? I, I, I'm, I'm Loads doubting. of pundits say it. Loads of them. I don't need to name them. You know it's true. <laughs> no, I don't. I've ne- I, I personally have never heard anybody say that. Charlie, help me out here. 
Yeah, Europe, if not the world, that is a thing. Give me an example. In what context? So you'd be saying, I think Trent Alexander-Arnold, he's one of the best right-backs in Europe, if not the world. Why can't we just say okay. he's one of the best right-backs in the world is basically the point being made here, Jeff. No, I, I, I'm going to kick back against this because it's somebody articulating. And as they speak, they're saying, I think he's the best right-back in Europe. And, think, and then they are the brain at the same mm. time. I think, do you know what? I, I'm not sure that is sufficient. It does sufficient justice to Trent's abilities. I'm going to go bigger. I'm going to go the world. I think it's actually quite nice articulation. I'll, I'll depend them on that. Jeff, thank you so much for um, not just your time, but your your enthusiasm for the concept of this podcast. You've really um, played your part. Both teams have played their part here. <laughs> oh, hello. He's bigged himself up. <laughs> Is this is this is this the virtual version of the manager handshake at the end of the game, which we all know means absolutely nothing? Again, going back to, it, I love it when they clearly don't like each other. They sort of look away. It's the look away handshake as they do it. I feel like you're leaning in for a quick patronising head pat here, just in addition to the to the handshake. This could be our first ever like Mark Hughes non handshake at, at the end at the end of an episode. This is the closest we've come to it. falling out. I yeah. have to say, but you've. Um, no, you've been a really good Boys, sport. I, and- I, I've loved it. Now, I know it doesn't go with your podcast, but the, the reason I've liked it so much is it's fun. It's fun. There's just not enough fun in football anymore. We need we need more of this stuff. We need more fun. It's too serious. It's too aggressive. It's too overanalyzed. Genuinely, I, I can't say how much it means to me to be involved in this irreverent tosh of a programme. <laughs> to, to, to be to be i mean you you are the podcast version of pointless aren't you it's sensational stuff it is it is pointless and it's gloriously pointless and uh we were delighted to have you join us in the spirit of things um i feel like you've got a lot off your chest today fairly aimlessly but, but nevertheless you did it so um <laughs> did, I, did, did, did i get it off my chest too well yes you did excellent excellent well done jeff well done and i mean that in a non-fergie way as well well done, Jeff. Well done, Jeff. Well done, Jeff. <laughs> Jeff, best of luck with the book. It is a fascinating read. Um, there are some stories in there that people will be very familiar with, the Branislav Ivanovic thing and all sorts of stuff. But there, there's a lot more insight into what it takes to get to the top of the broadcasting game that I would never have considered. So I was stunned by aspects of it. But uh, the Peter Shreves controversy uh, will run and run and run. Cheers, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thanks very Thank much. You. Cheers, Jeff. The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.